Thank you for tuning in. So you are listening to a community agriculture project production. Um, My name is Emily and the community agriculture project is all about trying to connect people with their local agriculture resources and also just enabling people to embrace their own food sovereignty through getting a closer connection with their food. Um, Today we are talking to my friend Jocelyn about an article that she wrote that was published this year. Congratulations, Jocelyn. It is called The Impact of Food, Distributing Resilience Through Language and Practice. Um, So Jocelyn and I know each other from our undergraduate education at Rutgers University. Uh, We spent some time together in similar circles. And I really wanted to talk to Jocelyn about her article because it really reminded me of the writing that I did while developing the Community Agriculture Project that involved me doing some independent research and interviewing different farms around the country. Um, So that's kind of what inspired that project. So in her article, The Impact of Food, Jocelyn has a similar approach, working with and interviewing a couple different farms, which she'll talk about a little bit later. But her and I are really able to relate over our similar experiences, um, just being at the farms, talking to the people there, and the people that are within a farm's network. Um, We're able to relate over that and just the process of writing and everything that we learn in those environments. So yeah, in our chat, Justine and I will talk about everything from language to experiential learning to distributed resilience, which is an idea in her article, um, as well as anthropology in the food and ag space, food interactivism, and food sovereignty and security. So that's just a little idea of what we're going to cover, and I hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. So, hey, I'm Jocelyne. Um, I just graduated from Rutgers with a degree in anthropology in May. Um, I'm currently working for the New Jersey Department of Agriculture um, for a nutrition program, and it's been an interesting experience. Um, Definitely a little challenging, but I'm happy that, you know, I found something that I'm passionate about, um, that I could extend my passion for food and agriculture into my career in that way. Um, I think it's like a real privilege to be able to do that. But yeah, um, in terms of like where I am at life and how it connects to this project, um, I'm also kind of a background story person, so I guess I'll start like a while ago. Um, So my sophomore year um, of undergrad, I took this class called Botanic Sociality. Um, and it was an anthropology class and basically we were reading about indigenous plant knowledge um, and different ways that people around the world like connect 
on a spiritual level, on a cultural level, and also like a very material level to nature um, and plants specifically. And I had just never really thought about the environment in that kind of way before. Like the year before, um, I participated in this big charity project where I biked from New Jersey to Portland, Oregon. Um, and I stayed at a bunch of different farms. So I had kind of like had that kind of exposure to food and agriculture there, but learning about it, learning about the connection between nature and that space and people and their lives and community didn't really come until I like took this class. Um, and then senior year came around and I knew that I wanted to do my thesis on something related to this topic. So. I had started volunteering at a student-run farm at the school. And was that, like, so the only farm that I worked on in undergrad was Elijah's Promise. Is it Elijah's Promise or something different? Elijah's Promise was the organization that we fundraised for for the bike trip. Right. Um, the farm that I worked at was the student farm at Rutgers Gardens. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was a cool experience, and I wanted, like, my project to ultimately like surround that experience um and then it kind of just like i started talking to a bunch of people and professors and you know other students and people in the community and it kind of just like went haywire after that like i had so many different ideas and like different connections that i was making to my experience at the farm and i ended up going to vermont um and working with a nonprofit over there um so yeah, I'm getting kind of lost in what I'm... <laughs> no, I think it's great. Like, so, yeah, because it, it's kind of interesting just the way that, like, I feel like it's kind of similar to what I was talking about. Like, once that kind of, like, inspiration strikes and you, like, start seeing all this stuff around you, like, it all starts coming into your awareness of, like, what's yeah. going on in the agriculture space. You start to feel, feel to, like, okay, how am I going to move forward and how, what story am I going to tell? you know so so how did you form that story for yourself yeah so it was definitely a lot of workshopping um i think it just boiled down to like what was the most interesting and important for me to look deeper into and like one of my favorite parts about working at the farm was like the connections that i was making with people and like people that I was working with, um, other students, but then also like members of the CSA that came and like, like the consumers of the produce that we were growing. Um, and so I became interested in, in people and like, you know, I was studying anthropology and like that's what anthropology is all about. Um, so I was like, this makes sense. Like let me focus on community. And, and then from there I decided to focus on language. Um, because of something that like my professor said that like really inspired me, but anyway. Yeah, so I decided to kind of like zone in on the community aspect. Um, and so, um, could you just say what is the title of the piece that you wrote? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The impact of food um, and how it contributes to distributed resilience in community. Something along those lines. I'm sorry, <laughs> this was like months ago that I like wrote it and like the whole process with it but I've yeah. totally been there I so feel you. the idea is basically like how does language help create resilience in like a food 
centered space. Right. Yeah. And like one of the things that I talk about in the paper is that um, language surrounding local agriculture sometimes like drops a lot of these big gaps in yeah, just like it kind of avoids some of the downsides to local agriculture that's like a really important thing to talk about um but yeah so i i wanted to really focus on like the nuances um in terms of like how people were talking to each other how people were talking to me as like a newcomer on the farm so kind of like what you were saying like how language um can and should be inclusive and like how that was being used to like sort of um i don't want to say like indoctrinate like to like welcome me into their community yeah that's a good word for it all right um so like last night i um i didn't want to like come in today and like not remember anything about my paper so i was like reading through it last night um trying to like refresh my memory and like and first of all i noticed that my writing changed a lot from what it originally was yeah. to like the published version and like that's kind of obvious because you go through the editing process like so many times you have like so many people reading your paper and like it just it just gets like it changes um but like low-key i kind of wish that i had almost like waited a couple months upon finishing my project to like go back and submit it for publishing um because now when i look back on it there's like so many things i'm picking up on that like i would have wanted to explore more or like kind of i would read a sentence and be like oh well i wish i explained that a different way or like I don't know. So it kind of just goes to show that like this really is like you were saying earlier, just like a constantly evolving thing. But anyway, going I've back to totally, the... totally been there with my own writing. <laughs> I like... could keep going on that, but <laughs> yeah. Also, like you change so much as a person over Literally. time that it's like, <laughs> and I feel to, like, like cringe a little when you exactly. read your own writing. Like cringing, but also it's like this is. I feel like this force that pushes us to like continue continue producing and creating honestly yeah. like that that room for improvement which is like yeah it, it just is a learning process yeah. like actually in when i was doing my independent research on like s sustainability and agriculture and everything they were really forcing this connection on like learning and like what does it really mean to learn mm -hmm. and so i've been through so many like thought spirals on, just on that topic of like ever since I started on that project that yeah. I like never published I'm like okay what does it actually mean to learn like how do people learn because like yeah. I, I was in this under this whole impression of like yeah people go and have this hands-on experience and they learn something and like yeah maybe that's definitely part of it but something a lot more potent and like I still really stand by the fact that experience teaches us us yeah. something because it's like yeah you had this publication experience and like you learned what you would do differently and how you would go about it differently. Yeah. And that's all like that's also how I felt about like people coming or going to farms and having an experience of like, you know, doing like a canning workshop or like whatever they're gonna go do at a farm. Yeah. Like having that experience that like leads you down this like reflection later like you you put your energy towards something you did something and like and now what you know like yeah. how 
how do you move forward in a new way after that? Right, yeah. And that, I was, like, so hooked on, like, experiential learning for, and still kind of am for a really long time, because I'm, like, that it's just, people need to have that new experience to be able to go somewhere new. I think the cool thing about experiential learning is that you, like, really take it with you with experiential learning it's it's not just your you like entering a space and like you know consuming knowledge like you're not just taking things in you're also like processing it and then bringing it to other parts of your life so like even if for example like the students that i work with on the farm they were only there for that summer like that was an internship that they were doing but those students are going to take what they learned on the farm and bring it wherever the heck else they decide to take it even if it's not another farm. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. even if they decide not to be full-time farmers in the future, like, this experience of being around food um, and this conversation about agriculture um, is going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And, like, it did for me, too. I mean, obviously, we're out here still talking about the experience, and it's been, like, over a year since I actually worked there. Um, yeah. Okay. And honestly, like, just to like be perfectly candid, I also am still like figuring out a lot of where I want this project to take me in the future. Um, like after finishing it, I was kind of more, to be real, I was concerned about just getting a job and like, you know, like leaving college and like getting settled in my life. And I knew that this was a good grounding space for me because like I want to remain in this food and agriculture sphere for as long as I can um, but I didn't necessarily know exactly where um, and you know working for the state government for a nutrition program is pretty different from like working on a small farm um, but I still do carry those values with me and like that just shows how powerful that experience was um, I still use a lot of that language too. Um, sometimes the language changes when I'm bringing it up in like a professional space that's different from you know what it was like when I was out digging through dirt. But like the ideas are still there and like the intention is still there. Right. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> I feel like I feel like this yeah. even goes back to what I was talking about a little bit earlier. There's something about like a low stakes environment and this is not something to say like oh agricultural settings and farms and stuff are low stakes settings like I think that like food is vital and I take it super seriously and so like farms a lot of the times like in the field like are very much not low stakes settings because it's like there's a lot of things on the line like there's like the um livelihood of the farmer a lot of the times there's like the livelihood of the people that are going to get this food um there's this there's like food and land sovereignty there's like a lot of things that actually are at stake that are very serious but like at the same time there's kind of this environment that can be created that like is a low stakes learning environment for somebody else coming in you know like Mm -hmm. somebody else coming into the environment and being exposed to this whole thing um and like i guess in that in 
with that being said, like really anything can be an experiential learning environment if it's about the mindset. But like, I always saw farms as this like, as this just like really amazing dynamic environment to like pull in all those factors um, of like, yeah, that experience of like learning and, and changing your framework a little bit, like just especially because it's related to food, which is like that bottom line that we all share at the end of the day, like we all gotta eat, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like they, they, the farms always felt like a low stakes environment for me to like go and like maybe mess up or just like form, form new thought ways to take with me to other places um yeah yeah definitely like it's really important for us to like have those spaces to get our hands dirty as as we move forward and like find what's important to us you know yeah definitely and that also has a lot to do with like so in my paper i talk about distributed resilience really what i mean by that is like the concept of resilience isn't just like a one-way street like there's no one idea there's no one method of approaching it it is really dynamic and like it comes about when you have new people entering new spaces and carrying ideas with them um and it's like kind of intangible like yeah i'm like being super abstract right now but like that's where the distributed part comes right like you go on the farm you get dirty you change your you said thought ways i feel like that's a great way to describe it you change your thought ways and like you go out and then spread those thought ways into the world and it gets distributed right. so like that's how you send this idea of resilience like out into the world and that's how you start you know planting the seeds right it's <laughs> seeds like seeds of resilience like if there's one thing about me it's like i'm totally gonna be esoteric and i'm totally gonna be like using these metaphors that seem super cheesy related to like farming and agriculture. Like I just can't get them out of my head anymore. Like I'm just always gonna be making corny plant jokes for the rest There's of the There's another life. one. That's... Corny plant jokes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It it's yeah, it's a thing. Um but yeah, it, it's a really hard for it to not get a little bit like esoteric or abstract when you're when you're describing resilience because it's like Especially considering the unique experience of just like every single person and community out there, it's like yeah. resilience building deserves to be looked at through a spectrum of like macro and micro yes. experience. Yeah, and that I also feel like anthropology is like really key to understanding that. Um, so, like, every time somebody asks me to like define what anthropology is I always get so stuck like you know not me like studying this for four years and still not having a clue like so based like the thing that I like about anthropology especially in like this food and ag space is the fact that you get to see the perspective of the individual as it relates to the community mm-hmm. and then also like lived experience yeah like what does it actually be like what is it actually like to be a human and whatever setting environment space that you're in um because we all like are walking on this earth doing our own thing we all have like our own experience um and anthropology lets you like sit with other people on a deeper level than i think any other science or social science um and 
yeah, it lets you kind of put yourself in other people's shoes and yeah, I feel like that was really key to this whole project because like I really wanted to illuminate the experiences of the people working um, and the organizations that I studied, the people being impacted. And that's one of the things actually, like side note, that I would want to go deeper into in the future, like if I were to pursue this again, because mm -hmm. um, I didn't get to with this. You can only do so much in a year, but. Right, that's <laughs> very true. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because you said like anthropology, it helps you look at everyone's experience and, and like we're all just walking on this we're all just like people doing our own things walking on this earth but it's like then on the other side of that like we're all so connected you know yeah. and it's really cool to be able to see both and to be able to understand food from like both of those perspectives because when you try to when you try to approach like food sovereignty I think that that's really important yeah yeah don't even get me started with food sovereignty that's <laughs> like I a mean, whole other yeah it, it's like <laughs> yeah if you want to talk about it i'm here for it sure yeah, yeah i mean yeah the other thing i wanted to say about like anthropology though before we get into yeah, yeah. food sovereignty um right now with anthropology people are really into the idea of like applied anthropology which is basically like you go out into the world and you like do your research um, usually through participant observation so essentially what that is is it's like you going out um, and experiencing the same things that the people that you're studying are experiencing and you are interacting with them you are engaging the same activities um, and you sort of like become part of their you, know, you become part of their life <laughs> right um, Interesting because like scientifically I wonder how much their presence affects the study at hand. Yeah, that's something that we talk about a lot. Um, yeah. It's called observer's paradox actually. Ah. Um, basically the consensus is that like you can't avoid it, um, but you just kind of like think about it and factor that into your research. Like anthropology is so like arbitrary, you know, yeah. it's also like very narrative um, and you can kind of be creative with it in that way um so it's like taking your experience and then using that for change mm -hmm. um which is like i f i was like kind of confusing myself a little bit when i was doing the actual participant observation because i'm like wait a second so i'm out here like experiencing okay i'm out here like doing this research mm -hmm. i'm doing the same work as these other people um like they're also learning these new things and like they're gonna take it with them and like I'm going to as well and so like that's where the idea of like food interactivism came about so just a quick note here about the term food interactivism this term is accredited by Justine to Dr. Kathleen Riley and Amy L. Poe uh, and you can see their piece linked in the description notes um, I talk about that in the paper like a little bit, but it's basically like um, you're basically like doing research with people that are also interested in learning. Right? Yeah. Like all these students are yeah. also interested. In, yeah. 
and that is like so true okay yeah that's like school a lot of the times like yeah. school hopefully you're in a space where like everyone else is also valuing learning you know in the same way that's also like how sometimes academic environments can be compromised if like a bunch of people in that environment really are not valuing learning in the same way but um so that can happen but i definitely feel like yeah if if you like attend or if you're like in a certain environment where like everyone is sharing that value of like i am here to learn something like no matter what that's really powerful yeah 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 definitely and then i got to kind of like poke at some of the things that they were talking about too and be yeah. like hey well have you thought about this and like they would do the same thing and it was kind of like we were all actively participating in the research together yeah. if that makes sense Ooh, yeah. okay yeah that's really cool yeah i i like that perspective a lot mm -hmm. of just like yeah it's like it's active it's consensual <laughs> yeah i feel like sometimes what's a little bit dangerous about anthropology is just like the non-consensual aspects right that could be there um yeah 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 when i was going through the irb um, the whole IRB process, like getting approval to do this, I... Wait, what is that IRB? IRB it's the Institutional Research Board, so mm, like for... Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you're required to do it for um, like certain sciences too, but I know that for social sciences you have to like... First of all, you have to do a training on like how to work with human subjects, um, right. and then you're required to like... I think you have to like come up with a way of consensually working with them like I really wanted to go deep into language so I knew that I wanted to like record some of the conversations that I had with people so I just like took the safe route and I was like I'm gonna print out like um, a consent form and do it like I'm gonna have everybody sign this yeah to know exactly what they're getting into and like how I'm gonna use their words and experience their data like yeah yeah and how am i going to use you as data yeah and like obviously or maybe it's not obvious but i kept everybody anonymous because you know i didn't i didn't know how many people would be interested in like reading the paper before it got published eventually um and it's kind of difficult like as a researcher to go out and like you know you can't like send your paper to everybody and be like is this okay right so i was just like let me just yeah. make it all anonymous yeah um that's kind of the way that i that i approached it but yeah so i had like both formal and informal interviews with people but i just like had everybody sign the paper i love that yeah, yeah. i mean that's so important and I had no idea about like that IRB. That's never like been in my sphere ever. Hmm. Um, well, it, it's probably a different process for like your discipline. Right. Yeah. yeah like I think just because of my um, yeah the background that I come from, it's never really discussed like that because I've never really like been trained on how to work with human subjects. I kind of mm -hmm. just like talk to people and and then I'm like and like make sure that I check in and be like okay these are my intentions you know but yeah. um 
That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I know, like, anthropology gets complicated <laughs> history. Like, this, this field is obviously really, like, it's gone through its phases. And I think for the most part, it has changed for the better in recent years. I think there's a lot of people who are definitely more aware of, like, how they're perceived by the groups that they're so-called studying and like they're really sensitive to those things which is awesome um but yeah you kind of have to be like very hyper aware of that and yeah. just like make sure that the people you're working with like fully understand what your intentions are um yeah 100 percent. yeah that's that's a super 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 important just for like humans in general like human communication in general oh yeah for sure yeah yeah so i it's it's good that it's um reiterated i guess in that way yeah definitely yeah. so yeah so the food <laughs> sovereignty topic i don't even know right. i well, love what was your experience with food sovereignty um well right so I just want to go back and say that, like, it's really cool that you were inspired at first um, by that class in botanic sociality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, like, always continually inspired by uh, the way that people uh, relate to plants. Yeah. So that's, like, always a source of inspiration for me. Damn. But, um... Yeah, food sovereignty. I mean, it's like such a huge topic. Mm -hmm. um, Big buzzword. It's such a buzzword. Like I was saying before, really the root of it is like, we all have a relationship with food. And I think that anything, um, even sometimes in people's experiences, like there's a lot of like unknown or unseen forces that uh, drive up barriers between them and their food of like food apartheid and like food deserts um, there can be so much between somebody and their food and when food is like such a personal um, cultural like insert a hundred other descriptive words here like when it is that type of experience like it just means a lot so yeah. I don't definitely. know if that sounds super cryptic, but... No. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm coming from it from a perspective of, like, like, I still have a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> the first time that I was exposed to the idea of food sovereignty was at that internship that I was telling you about earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, there are a lot of cool, um, like, grassroots movements, even just in the U.S., that are all about food sovereignty for their individual communities and like the part that I really like about it is the idea that food connects you to like so many other aspects of life and it's it's basically like it's like the source of it's the it's like this energetic like source yeah not the energetic source but like a very very prominent energetic source for yeah. humans and living things yeah and like when you think about it in the context of food security like you can't have food security if you're not economically secure if right. you're not like 
you know, if you don't have access to and why and, and but that part like why can't you have food security if you're not economically secure like yeah. that is food sovereignty yeah yeah because you the, the economic security should not obstruct your food security mm. like and yeah. so yeah that's just one part of it right it's so it's very very interconnected but basically like you can't fix you can't fix the food issues unless you get at all these other issues yeah um, like it's like all, yeah it's all related yeah um it's a web for sure mm -hmm. um and sometimes it's jenga <laughs> <laughs> that's a good metaphor <laughs> yeah but don't take out the wrong block Right. And yeah. Food sovereignty. It makes me think of like I said before, like also just like land sovereignty and food sovereignty to me is like is um is not compromising our ability to be able to grow clean and healthy food. And by clean and healthy food I mean like food that isn't containing like a lot of toxins and just yeah. like um yeah things that could like hurt us if, if eaten in a certain amount you know um and just like food that's made from healthy soil and and clean water you know um and yeah i think we have like humans especially colonizers have definitely compromised the ability for land to be able to produce like what we need in terms of yeah healthy and culturally appropriate food yeah 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 there's definitely a long deep history there mm -hmm. which i feel like is a lot it's just a lot it's just a lot just <laughs> it's like so much um yeah one of the, so over the summer, like when I first started working for um, the state government, mm -hmm. I was basically like going out into the community, um, well, <laughs> not the communities if it's like one. <laughs> I was going out into like various parts of New Jersey. Um, and I say that all the time, by the way, <laughs> so that's like so funny that you're like, the, yeah, it's not just one, it's nuanced. Yeah. Um, Part of my job was to like go out and work with people running like community centers, um, schools, summer programs for kids and like people that are participating in this nutrition program. Basically it's a program that feeds um, low income children, like eligible children over the summer. Mm -hmm. So they're, they become eligible for free and reduced price meals that are like reimbursable yeah. from the government. Um, and so my job was to like go out and help them kind of establish their programs and like get them all set up for the summer and it was like a really it was an eye-opening experience like it's it's one thing to like be a person that you know studies food insecurity at like an academic level and then another to like really go out and like be there and see yeah. what it's actually like to and i don't want to claim to know what it's like to be food insecure even after having had that experience because I truly don't yeah. um, and I'm lucky that I don't but
And I think it's important also, this is where I was going, to like allow those people to speak on it um, and to like define their own pathways, however exactly. they see fit. And that is food sovereignty. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that. And that. And that. And that. It's, yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Um, yeah, especially coming from academia, like a core issue with academia is like claiming to know that which is not your experience yeah and yeah and i don't think that that's what academia should be like it should be used to illuminate those experiences yes um if anything but so i have a question for you yeah earlier you were saying like when we were talking about food insecurity and economic insecurity like mm-hmm. intersecting can you like explain that a little bit more yeah um and how they shouldn't be connected is basically what you said. Like, why can you not have security if you don't have economic security? Yeah, um, I feel like, yeah, this is a whole um, new can of beans, but <laughs> but like everything is. Um, so there's a, there's a few things that come to my mind just in the relation of like economic security and food security, like, First, first, first of all, the thing that I think about is like hunter gatherers. Like, if we go back a really long time and think about like what what was it like to survive on this planet and like our ancestors' survival, like it was accomplished far before like ideas of like econ money economy and like i <laughs> yeah, guess the the yeah. idea of economy like still existed in in our ancestors livelihoods but um yeah like there if you think about it in its most bare sense it's like it's us it's like us and the earth you know and living things on earth and and resources that support systems to exist um and so there was a time where we could collect resources to support our livelihood without having to worry about being able to pay for them yeah you know and of course like when we think about pay like now we think about it in terms of money but like um at the end of the day like everything is an energetic exchange and like uh so I don't know if our if hunter gatherers or it, like I know like current day like foragers for example a lot of foragers that I know like will be very considerate about the energetic exchange of like the food that they're finding in the forest mm-hmm. you know and like there there's certain like respectful rules just to make sure that like everybody can continue to have access to this resource mm-hmm. um, and that yeah, you're taking an amount that's respectful and you're not you're not overtaking. Yeah. Um so there's of course that that like energetic exchange system. But yeah, there there was a time when people could like freely exchange with the earth and and when we get to to the place where it becomes like extractive um and like where greed starts playing into it where it's like all right you're taking more than you need and there's like you're hoarding you know and you're not necessarily like letting that be 
of equal exchange with other like beings around you whether that be human beings or like uh, or you know other animals and other yeah. insects and just like all the other like souls and thi- like right. lives that we share this earth with yeah. um then it gets to be a little bit crazy so like that's just like background background but yeah in terms of like economic security now if you are in the present day it's like a lot of the times you'll go to the grocery store and you'll be like yeah we accept snap here and like we accept ebt and it's like there's all these like government programs to make sure that like you can still eat um even if you don't have economic financial security but at the same time that is so conditional like what you even have access to is conditioned by the government and like and you might not be having access to foods that are appropriate to sustain your livelihood and your your physical and emotional health you know because like food is also emotional so um yeah yeah, like i at the end of the day like why i'm super super passionate about empowering people to have the knowledge to grow their own food and and connect resources from many places to allow people to grow their own food is that like in the most ideal world like people have access to these things that they need without uh without boundaries barriers and boundaries and conditions from another force or human you know right so like why is there access to food being defined by anyone but themselves? But yourselves, yeah. yeah. And that's like very, very descriptive of I think the experience of um well, okay. Based on the stories that I've heard from indigenous Americans, it's mm-hmm. like when people came in and pushed people onto reservations, it's like you are removing an access for people that have had an ancestral connection with specific like this specific area of land for a really long time you know and like and and you're changing changing that for somebody and for what Mm -hmm. like for your own like greed and selfishness and and desire for power yeah and like why Grr, that our food <laughs> that our food is like conditioned by all that yeah and um yeah so food sovereignty is just about like finding that finding each or allowing each individual to have that connection with their food and then like understanding what it takes to empower that um because it's going to be different for everyone um yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I love this conversation. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I just want to say thank you for your time and your energy and, like, yeah. for your writing. And um, it was really great to talk to you today. Yeah. Thank you, too, for your time. And, yeah, I always enjoy, like, meeting other people that, um, you know, are kind of interested in, in food and agriculture and, like, seeing you know where they're coming from where they're going with it and i think it's also cool that like you're coming from a science background um and like my background is totally different but 
we're out here having these conversations and right. yeah and yeah and we'll see where it takes us i guess yeah hopefully it's somewhere good <laughs> enjoyed listening to Justine and I's conversation. Thank you for listening to a Community Agriculture Project production and please check out our website communityagproject.com and our Instagram at communityagproject um, where you can follow this journey of finding and forming community within agriculture networks. Until next time.